Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to Side Pitch. I'm your host, Callan Swain, and this is the podcast from the current creators of the world to the future creators of the world. That's you. Today, we're going to be speaking to a friend of mine who is currently studying to be a lawyer, but to me is the amazing sand volleyball player and a phenomenal artist, which is exactly his side pitch. The artist portion, that is. Vaughn's story is really interesting because he was born and spent most of his time growing up in the Philippines. And after moving to the States, he had lost a lot of that heritage in his day-to-day life. So he decided to use his art to bring that back. And like many other topics that we've talked about in previous episodes, I don't know a lot about art. But what I do know is that the art that he has made, the one that I'm looking at on my wall right now, is absolutely beautiful, and the story behind it is even more powerful. So throughout this episode, you'll not only get an insight into Vaughn's side business, but get a really good insight into the complexity of Filipino culture and how beautiful it is. So for all the listeners out there that are looking to start your own business and trying to figure out how to build your brand, give a listen to what Vaughn has to say. Here he is, Vaughn Olsa. Aloha, everyone. My name is Vaughn Dickens Olsa. People call me Vaughn. I come from the Philippines. My background is Southeast Asian Pacific Islander. The family tale is that I have a Japanese side from my mother's side, but we don't really know. I moved to Hawaii in 2009, and I've been living here for 10 years. And last fall, I started law school at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Now I'm back in Honolulu for the summer before I resume instruction in the fall. So when you went to school in Wisconsin and people found out that you were from Hawaii, what, what was their reaction? Their actions are very mixed. They're very excited that they finally met someone from Hawaii. <laughs> you know, being from Hawaii and uh, a lot of like misconception about the identities and, and you know how we see ourselves here in Honolulu. So people assume that I'm Hawaiian. There's always that conversation that, you know, I'm not Hawaiian. Hawaiians are, are real ethnicities. You know, there are people that are you know, Hawaiian. So it's the opportunity for me to educate what Hawaii is about at the same time. Yeah. How did you decide that you wanted to go into law? Um, I wanted to go to law because of my dad's job, essentially. He does a lot of international work, so I was kind of exposed to that way back when. And also, I have, like, the stereotypical tiger Asian parents. Uh, they have, like, high expectations for, for you growing up. Um, you know, they want you to be doctors or, like, prestigious career paths. So that was kind of ingrained within me. So thankfully, I was while I was growing up, I was kind of, like, inclined to that career path. I'm very lucky that my parents never restrict me from exploring other stuff, mainly art, because they're very supportive with my career. They're convictive about, mm, it's very hard to make a career out of that, so you have to have something that is more ground. So when I was in elementary high school, I was already doing debate, very into it. When we moved to the U.S. in 2009, I saw this opportunity to get a law degree here, and thankfully it was possible today. So did you move directly from the Philippines to the U.S., to Hawaii? Yes, so we were living in different places in the Philippines prior to moving to Hawaii. For those who don't know, the largest minority population has always been uh, Japanese and Filipino. So moving here was not too difficult. You know, Hawaii is, is a blend of different cultures from the Pacific. So adjusting here wasn't too hard. I think a lot of Filipino traditions are carried through here. It was absolutely not difficult. And it's absolutely not the America that I was expecting. You know, coming from the Philippines, we, we are exposed to media like to to how various american life is depicted and it's not like hawaii at all 
I was completely shocked when I came to Hawaii for the first time. This is not what I would, was ever expecting. And it's in the best possible way. It's so beautiful. It's such an amazing mix. And I forever will love Spam Musubi. You said that moving from the Philippines to, to Hawaii wasn't a huge change. But was there anything about the American culture that did have you culture shocked? How do I phrase it? <laughs> I, I'm not ashamed to say that we live a difficult life in the Philippines. And when you say, you know, poverty line, and it is really poverty back there. But when we moved here, there's so much opportunities for immigrants, education, like access to library, uh, public transportation. Those are the things that really shocked me in the way that these are accessible for people like us here. It shocked me how a lot of people take that for granted. For me, it was like, oh, your 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 family income is below poverty line. For me, I didn't really see it that way. Like we go to school, we have free lunch, all these things that we get for free. Like our, our libraries are open and, and we don't have public libraries in the Philippines. So for me, it was for entire Western part, like this is seen as like disadvantage or underprivileged, given that we've lived different life in the Philippines. For us, that was entirely different. That was like something that we never imagined we would have access to. So cultural difference in the sense that there's there's different perception of what a hardship is and trying to communicate that to people. Because when I was applying to colleges and stuff and even law school, you know, they ask about your heritage. You are introduced to these ideas about socioeconomic hardships. And then for me, it's so difficult to, to communicate that because a socioeconomic hardship in the other part of the world is super different from socioeconomic hardship here. I think just like meeting a lot of people in Hawaii, you, you do hear from a lot of different perspectives around the world. Well, so do you feel like that's one of the reasons why you wanted to go into law as well? So I was very interested in international law because I'm an international student. I'm not, I'm what would you classify in America as a non-immigrant, non-resident? So uh, when I was applying to schools, it was so difficult to get financial aid. It's not because I don't have the grades or I don't have the test scores, it's because my citizenship dictate how much financial opportunities are available for me. So I was very passionate about educational opportunities for immigrants, not just immigrants, even for the undocumented children in America. Uh, they are in the same position as I am, like they have very limited financial resources. And I felt that a lot of those limitations are brought by these international treaties in U.S. between Mexico, U.S. between Philippines, U.S. between Japan. So uh, a lot of those treaties are very old and they're very outdated. A lot of our educational policies, quite frankly, are still reliant on those. So as international lawyer in the future, I am looking into hopefully fixing those or updating those. So, and I know you, you've lived in a lot of different places, especially in the Philippines. Do you feel like that has really helped your perspective as a, a lawyer? Absolutely did. And I think moving from so many different places or countries really helps you configure your, your language. And, and what, what I mean by that is when you communicate to people, there's cultural differences that are often miscommunicated. And when you're exposed to that kind of environment throughout your life, you are in constant adjustment. Like, how do I phrase this as appropriate as possible? Those are the kind of things diplomats or international lawyers should be able to do because the world is about communication, but then there's cultural gradients to it. It doesn't matter how many languages you can speak or, or how many people you know around the world. If you cannot effectively communicate your ideas in a culturally appropriate way, we'd rather not talk, you know? So I was very grateful to be exposed to that kind of environment.
you as a person come off as extremely confident and emotionally and culturally intelligent. In the Midwest, being from there, you don't get a lot of diversity, which is is really sad, honestly. And even to Seattle, people were like, oh, come to my favorite pho shop. And I'm like, what's pho? And they're like, how have you not had pho? I've had pho since I was three. And then coming to Hawaii, it's like I was exposed to all these amazing things. I know that you have a lot of pride in your Filipino heritage, which is amazing. And you, it's a very tight culture, isn't it? Much like the Hawaiian culture. Yeah, yeah. So Filipino culture for me is we're very family oriented. We take education very seriously. And for a lot of Filipino immigrants to the U.S., we really don't take it for granted because in the Philippines, your educational opportunity is usually dictated by your family's financial capacity. Even though we have public education there, the government does not, does not have a lot of money for high school education, even much less for college education. So moving here, we have those opportunities here. We're happy that my family was able to ingrain that into me very much younger. So just to let the listeners know, the way that I met Vaughn was obviously living in Hawaii and we played on a volleyball team together. And I found out that Vaughn was an amazing <laughs> artist and was actually getting his artwork in in a show, put up in a gallery. Is that right? Yes, yes, I, I did. Um, yeah, I, oh, those are fun times. I, I love meeting people in volleyball and didn't know exactly how to do like a send-off party. I, I don't like, one of the things I really wanted to do as well was do like a gallery for my own artwork, kind of like some of the works that I, I do and kind of like with the style and the subjects of my paintings and drawings and illustrations. So I was like, you know what, why don't I make a, a goodbye small party, but at the same time it's also a gallery show and it was turned out to be a huge success over 300 people came <laughs> yeah and i didn't even aggressively market on facebook and anything just word of mouth by friends and and uh, instagram the art the art show was an amazing experience this really reinforces my, my confidence and in, in my craft how did you decide that you wanted to get into art? It looks pretty damn professional to me. Uh, would you consider yourself a professional artist? Maybe not professional. I, I, I tell people that I'm an artist, and you know, that's very basic and open to interpretations, and I leave it at that. I think growing up, because, you know, we move a lot, and I don't, I can't make a lot of connections with, with people. I was always confined inside, and one of the things that I do other than reading is doing art. It was not until I moved to the U.S., you know, going back to what I said, like a financial opportunity, there's so many competitions even in high school elementary art competitions and you win awards and money so one of the classes I took when I moved here was art in my first semester of school I already won my first national uh, art competition in the Philippines there's no classes like that in elementary <laughs> you, you, you take classes like that when you're in college there but here like oh my gosh it's like an actual class in, in high school so, so I was just there and my so when I went to college I stopped doing art I was just focused on school. I was a triple major in college. I studied English, American history, American studies, and then I, I had a minor in Filipino literature. So the course load that I had was very intense. And here's where we get a little emotional. <laughs> um, so in 2015, I was a junior in college. I met one of my greatest friends ever. Her name is Kimberly. She knew about my art because as she knows, when I was in college, I wasn't really putting my artworks out there. I would just draw on my sketch pad. I think she saw my sketch pad when we were working together in Banana Republic. And she's always like, Vaughn, like you need to put your artworks out there. Like she's showing me Instagram accounts. She's showing me some YouTube channels about people making art. I'm like, oh, I don't think that's my, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do this. She was just very encouraging. Like for the two, three years that I've known her, she's like, 
Vaughn, you need to put yourself out there. You need to put your works out there. And then I really didn't have that confidence. So in 2015, in February, uh, she she collapsed in, on campus one day and we found out she had like brain aneurysm. She passed away and I felt a little guilty in, in that sense. And I felt like to really honor her memory, I just won't let her encouragement put to waste because she really is one of the greatest encouragers for me. And I don't want to take that for granted. The week after that, another tragedy struck. Perhaps my closest grandparent, my grandmother, also passed away in the Philippines within a week from each other. It's so difficult. My grandmother was the one who really instilled in me the value of education. I remember when I was young, she was teaching me English. Like she has these flashcards in her house that would tell me what the English of this. And also when I was senior in high school, I made a portrait of her, a chalk, which won a national award. Yeah, yeah. So the portrait was displayed in Washington, D.C. for a year in the tunnels, congressional tunnel. And Congresswoman Hanabu said that time really liked that she actually also displayed the portrait in her office here in Honolulu. February of 2015 was a huge turning point for my artistic career because that is when I really when I realized that I have a gift to create. I realized that being able to create whether it's artwork, it's artwork, music, podcast, poems has such power and back then I realized that oh my gosh I should be putting it out there because it's, it's so important for for yourself, for, for the community that you belong to. May of 2015, I opened my brand. It's called Avon, O-F-V-O-N, which is basically my artistic manner, my artistic signature. And I'm just so, so glad to be able to see the growth of that brand throughout the years, like the busy schedule that I have in my life. Finding time to, to really create, and it is such a therapeutic and amazing thing for me to to do. I had no idea about the stories behind your art. And I'm sitting here, so in my tiny little flat in London, and I have this Hawaii wall that is it's a gallery of different postcards and photos. And it has, it has like a picture of a spam musubi. And then right next to it, it has your two pieces of artwork. And then uh, Lakambani? La Lakambini. Lakambini. So could you kind of describe this collection of art and what inspired you so when I was in college, my, my expertise in history as an academic is mostly on historiography. For those who don't know, historiography is basically the study of history. You analyze who gets to write stories, who gets who gets to get published. Why is our history written that way? It's basically a, a skill of analyzing how history is written. Being an artist myself, the more I read about my favorite artists, the more I read about uh, modern art, it really shocks me to... to see that the artists that are very popular today are mostly white men, you know? Even women back then, up till today, are, are facing so much hardship trying to break into industry. So I was applying what I was learning in historiography. We, we don't know a lot about artists of color, but then there's so many art from many parts of the world that are not being brought into the status of fine arts in the Western world. And I was very curious about that. I started to realize that why 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 isn't there any other artists that I can relate to on a cultural level that are similar to me? Artists that I look like or share the same cultural values that I do. 
I'm from the Philippines. <laughs> you know, Austrian and Dutch painters are just so disconnected. Why do I obsess with them? So it came about two years ago when I came across the idea of decolonization in the academic side of it. I'm an American studies major, and for that field of study, we look at how the American experience is shaped by a lot of things. Uh, one of the things that uh, we talk about is the idea of America being such a big imperial power about throughout the world. They, they took over Hawaii, they took over Philippines at some point. So those ideas how that act of imperialistic behavior shaped people's identities. A westernized thought really affects the cultural identities that we have. I was reading about that, and one of the projects that I was thinking of back then was recreating the Greek god. I'm going to bring my own style and my own spin into Poseidon and uh, Zeus, Hera, because, you know, that's what they talk about in classical art. I, I took a step back, it's like, why don't I do something about Filipino gods? And this is the time again where it all culminated, you know, my, my background in American studies, my background in historiography. And I realized that Filip Filipino cultures have such intense, crazy, very eclectic background because that's 7,107 islands in the Pacific. And in our history books, I would say 90%, maybe 75% of our history books talks about Spain and an American arrival. And that 25% accounted for the thousands of years that Filipino Filipinos, uh, indigenous Filipinos, overlooked by, by historians and a lot of Western historians that write about Philippine history. When I was researching Filipino gods, I was exposed to the history of Philippines that is like neglected by, by, uh, by a lot of historians, and that really shocked me. And I came across these gods, godly deities that are so unique to our own, and to be quite honest, even much better than some Greek gods. One of my favorite gods is Anagolai, which is the goddess of lost things. We have another god for when you make like a business transaction to someone and you forgot that contract or transaction, you invoke this god, hoping that this god will help you remind that. So it's like so out there. But again, I'm going back to my historiographical, anthropological background. If, if we have these gods, that means that the society before Spanish arrival in Philippines is really, 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 really complex. They have an idea of commerce and trade. And that is very far from what Spaniards thought back then, that we were savages, that we were uncultured, because that's absolutely wrong. Things that I... I slowly uncover is, is shocking and, and so encouraging in, in terms of my art because I really want to show most of my friends here who have Filipino uh, heritage that we have such a rich history of religion, we have rich history of anthropology that is often neglected. Not to say that Christianity was bad, but you know, Christianity arriving to the Philippines really extinguished these cultures and traditions that, you know, we may have lost for years. I think you have Lakambini, which is the god of throat ailments. Throat ailments. So like um, when we really break it down, if Filipino if, if pre-colonial Filipinos have a god that they invoke specifically for throat ailments, that really suggests that they have an understanding of medicine back uh, internal organs really tells you a lot about the culture back then and that's basically what I'm trying to uncover and trying to communicate to my audience. 
Most definitely. Hearing you kind of talk about this, I can see a few of the parallels between what your dream is of being a lawyer and helping bridge the gap and create an understanding and unity and educate different people about other cultures. Do you feel like it goes hand in hand or am I just pulling that out of the air? You're probably the first person to like really verbalize that. I, I, I agree with that. And I think that for me, really, my artistic pursuit is is in a very different avenue from my international legal career, I would say. I don't see them hand to hand, but in subconsciously, I think, you know, the style for the two that I think connected within me, but as far as artistic goals and career goals, I don't see them. Yeah, yeah. Do you, so going back to what you said about building brand as of Vaughn, how, from like a business perspective, let's say listeners are, you're, you talk and they're like, I have the same passion about a similar topic. How would they go about creating their brand and then marketing it, especially as an artist? Yeah, so um, a lot of my art is basically word of mouth. And when I thought about my brand, I really looked into my values and at the same time, the historical trends for art. You know, I, I look into uh, the way the grandmasters marketed their work. You know, Van Gogh, you know, who was really bad at marketing, Gustav Klimt. Those are two big artists that I was really looking up to. Uh, so when I was making my brand, I was mostly looking at two things. Is uh, One is aesthetic and two is subject. So um, subject-wise, I would go for Klimt because he was really about shocking his viewers, you know, just, just shaking the conservative, uh, the conservative perspective of art by drawing like really naked women in these provocative poses. I want to be, be able to communicate or to tell my viewers that this is relevant, this is not really talked about. Second was really about my values. One of my values is really like humility and patience, meaning for me, I interpret it as trusting my craft, you know, believing in my craft. Because right now in the age of Instagram and social media, the number of likes or the number of followers you have really suggests how good you are. And that's not always the case. For me, it's so tempting to go into this this trend of a lot of artists online, but I, I'm not that kind of artist. Uh, I don't need validation from social media presence. I'm more about making sure that people who view or who had the opportunity to view some of my artworks get the point. Like, oh, this is what he's doing. And that's the most important for me. So I'm not aggressively marketing my works in the sense that I would pay ads on Facebook or pay ads on Instagram. The way I really market my work would be, one is the hashtag. <laughs> uh, hashtag Filipino Mital like there's people following those hashtags and at the same time I join a lot of uh, private Facebook groups about Filipino art Filipino indigenous art Filipino mythology and there's so many people that are into it I guess for me when I was starting my my Instagram or my website the idea was that I'll make money out of it but for me getting money and I still get money I get paid for a lot of artwork but that's not the point for me um, I think for me for my art it's more about awareness effectively communicating the idea ideas that I have with my subjects. And, and that's all that matters to me. Yeah, I think a lot of people when they are thinking about their side pitch, that's one of the things that is an internal struggle is, is this going to be a creative outlet or is this something that should generate revenue? And we've had guests in the past say that they think that it's a really great idea for anything that you do to be revenue generating because a lot of great things come from that. For, for your case, I think that just spreading awareness is something that is just as... I keep track of my expenses too. I use the old school Excel style, like oh, how much I spend my art materials, 
bills because I pay for my website too, like how much I spend on those. Surprisingly, I was breaking even. And even with law school, you know, um, I have other expenses too, but I was breaking even because for the listeners who are really trying to find like a grounding on, on how to profit from your work, it, it's going to be hard in the beginning. For me, once the word of mouth comes out, it, it kind of like snowballed because I got private commissions from Seattle, private commissions from friends, friend from Canada who, who asked me to do a painting. So it really is about really trusting your craft because large group of people out there uh, in terms of art, they're willing to really spend money on your art. But these people are very sophisticated. They're just not going to ask you to do artwork for them simply because you're good. Because, because, you know, quite frankly, there's a lot of people who on the same level as you are skill-wise. What they're looking for really is not just your brand but your your whole presentation so i talked to one of my clients who bought one of my original paintings and i asked her why did you buy this i feel like this was not really representative of my work and she was like no it's not but i just want something from you because the other works that you do is ingrained in your signature already so i want if you became famous you know your signature will be recognized with this artwork and this is an artwork that's very different and that really again inspired me because wow i didn't really have to aggressively market or really present most of my artworks in traditional ways because once these people who are willing to spend money see or understand why you're doing art i think they're more compelled to that idea than your skill itself Wow, how cool for someone to say, like, I know this is nothing like you've ever done before, but I want it because it's yours. That is such love. Yeah, it is. And then I found out that this customer really, um, yeah, she, she apparently spends a lot of money in art. And I Googled her and she goes to like a lot of art shows in Northwest also. Yeah, she's she, she basically an art collector. And, you know, having one of my artworks in, in, her, in her possession is like, okay, wow, okay. <laughs> Question for you. Um, this is what I like to ask every guest that comes on Side Pitch. If you had three pieces of advice for someone who is trying to start their own business, whether it be in art or whether it just be something that they want to dip their toe into, what would be your pieces of advice? First, I think is, oh my gosh, it's so cliche. But like, uh, find out your why. Like, uh, why do you do this? Why does it matter to you? For me, I share my story of, of you know, my, my grandmother and my best friend. My why was because it's important, because who else will do it other than me? And I really trust in my personal story that I was destined to be in the position that I am now. Your, your why should be very, very important because starting a business or starting any creative pursuit really is not an easy path. It's it's like up and down, sideways, backwards, uh, sometimes five steps back and then no step forward at all. But if you, if you have a really big understanding of why you're doing it it makes the journey much more exciting and, and much more worthwhile i think second is patience i started my art started my brand in 2015 and i didn't really get a lot of team or or sales i would say until two years after if you're patient you will find a, a group or you will find people you'll find a community that will really shape you challenge you foster you and help you develop as as a person and as, as, as I would say, businessman or as a creative. 
nothing enjoyable happens overnight. And lastly, I would say is learn how to take a break. Art for me is therapeutic. I, like I said back then when I was young, it was one of the ways I expressed myself. But then it came, it became very exhausting. And it's really important to really step back from that and try to do other things. Do something that you're not very comfortable doing. Take a break from yourself. Take a break from that strong connection because you you can't hold on to it like every day. It will it will it will exhaust you. It will it will make you hate what you do, and that's not really good. Vaughn, thank you so much for coming on with us today. I think you had amazing perspective and something that I think a lot of people need to hear. So thank you for letting us share your story and for being so vulnerable with us. Um, I loved hearing every minute of it. Where can people find you if they want to contact you and see your art? There's no other person I would trust my story uh, other than you. Um, okay, my Instagram art account is offvon.com. So O-F-V-O-N. Uh, my website is called avon.com, O-F-V-O-N.com. The best way to message me is via Instagram. You can comment or send me a DM there. Perfect. Amazing. Well, thanks so much, Vaughn. And we can't wait to air this for everyone to hear. Such a unique and insightful perspective. But something that really stood out to me is finding your why, which is actually a phrase that's been coined by Simon Sinek in his book, Find Your Why, which I highly recommend you read if you have not read it yet. But the basic idea behind it is finding purpose in what you're doing. And just like every company has a mission statement, when you decide to build your own company or start a startup, think about your core values and build that into your brand. Find a group of people that support you and support your mission. And I can promise you the journey will be a hell of a lot more fun. Thank you again for listening to yet another episode of Side Pitch. You can find episodes just about anywhere on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Music, and even Stitcher now. Follow us on Instagram at Side Pitch Podcast and on our website at www.sidepitchpodcast.com. See you again next week for another awesome guest and another unique side pitch. We're coming, coming for you.